All right, so we're going to be finishing up the short series of messages that started a few weeks back about challenges in the promised land. God uh, has blessed our church and done good things, and we've accomplished some of the things that we've wanted to accomplish, but now there's still going to be challenges. Even though, you know, figuratively speaking, we could say we're in the promised land, it does not mean that everything's going to be smooth sailing from here on out. There's still going to be challenges and things that we've got to watch for. There's still real dangers, and uh, we've been doing comparisons of the children of Israel after they came into the promised land, a lot of the challenges that they faced, and kind of compared them to where we are today. And uh, in this passage that we just read in First Samuel chapter 8, this is a story where we're seeing a major transition in Israel where they were going to go from basically being ruled by judges to a king. And this was something that they decided that they wanted. And notice in First Samuel chapter 8, verse 5, it says, And he said unto him, Behold, thou art old, talk, the people are talking to Samuel, and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. So notice how Israel, they didn't like how things were going there in Israel. And they had good reason to have a problem because Samuel's sons were wicked, unfortunately. Even though Samuel was a great man and a great prophet of God, unfortunately, he had wicked sons that he had put as judges or and people didn't want them. And it's always a, a sad thing when you have wicked rulers. And unfortunately, instead of them just trying to get new judges or get these judges right or some, anything like that, they decided what would be best is if we were just like the other nations. And so they said, give us a king like the other nations. In verse 20, it says that we also may be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. So they, the, their motivation here, they wanted to be like other nations. Now, that's a problem because God did not want them being like other nations. They were a special people. They were to be a holy nation. They were to be a peculiar people. That was something that God wanted for them. He didn't want them being like everyone else, but yet this was their motivation. Now, it's important to understand this request that they made in itself, a request for a king, that by itself was not necessarily a bad request or even an unlawful one. The problem with their request was the motivation for it. What they were desiring, while they were asking for a king, what they had for a king in their mind was not what God wanted. Because did you know it was not wrong for them to ask for a king? Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 17. I want to, I want to point this out to you. Because here's something we've got to understand too. This is when you see people just butcher Bible texts. One of the reasons they often do that, especially when it comes to like government, is they will go and show a verse about, you know, um, you know, obeying the magistrates or honoring the king. And the thing that they don't realize is there's a lot of things that people are calling governments today, that they are calling kings today, but they are not what God prescribed. And when God said to obey these things, it was assuming that they were following the role that God said. And it's and that's another uh, lesson for another day. But just asking for a king was not bad. In Deuteronomy 17, verse 14, it says, When thou art come unto the land, which the Lord thy God giveth thee, and shalt possess it, and shalt dwell therein, and shalt say... I will set a king over me, like as all the nations that are about me. So God knew they were going to they were going to get to this point someday where they were going to say this. And so look at God's instructions that He gave. It says, "Thou shalt in any wise set him king over thee, whom the Lord thy God shall choose, 
One from among thy brethren shalt thou set king over thee, that thou mayest not set a stranger over thee, which is not thy brother. Now we do know when Saul came along that it was God that chose Saul. Saul was one of their brethren. So, you know, things are, are pretty good so far. But notice it says, but he shall not multiply horses to himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to the end that he should multiply horses. For as much as the Lord said unto you, ye shall henceforth return no more that, that way. So even if they have a king, he's not able to do just whatever he wants to do. God said, you know, don't, he's not allowed to let you go back to Egypt. That's not okay. And it's, he's not supposed to multiply horses to himself. Maybe just trying to gain military strength and military might. It says in verse 17, neither shall he multiply wives to himself that his heart turned not away, neither shall he greatly multiply to himself silver and gold. Now, do we see the kings of Israel doing this very thing? We do see them doing these very things. This was not okay. Oh, but they're the king. You're supposed to honor the king. Yes, but the thing is, a king has a role too. A king has restrictions too. You know, we should, we should obey the government, but government has restrictions too. It's important we understand these things. And it shall be when he sitteth upon the throne of his kingdom, that he shall write him a copy of this law in a book out of that which is before the priests of the Levites, and it shall be with him. And he shall read therein all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God to keep all his words of this law and these statutes and do them. I don't see the kings ever doing this. Imagine if they would have always kept that with them, if they'd have kept these rules with them. And if everybody in Israel knew the king has these rules, if they, that he has this document that he is bound to, you know, that would have stopped them from doing a lot of things that they did that got him in a lot of trouble. It says that his heart be not lifted up above his brethren and that he turn not aside from the commandment to the right hand or the left to the end that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. A king was not to be looked at as somebody that's just greater and better than everybody else. You know, he was supposed to be looked at as one of their brethren, as one of the people who was just kind of overseeing things in the kingdom. I mean, in, in reality, what the Bible's calling for here is kind of a lot more like a president like we have today. Do you know, a president is not a king. A president, he has, you know, he is also supposed to follow the Constitution. Just like a king was supposed to follow these writings right here. They weren't supposed to go outside those things. You know, and a president shouldn't go outside the Constitution. A president should not become this rich, wealthy millionaire as a result of him being president. But isn't that what we always see? They go into office and a lot of them, you know, don't have a ton of money when they go into office, but they have a ton when they go, come out of office. You know, why is they, they're multiplying all these things to themselves? That's not good. It's going to motive, it's going to cause a lot of people to want to achieve these positions so they can just get gain for themselves. Where in reality, what should happen is our leaders that we have today, they should go in office for just a little while and then have to come out and live with what they've created for us. But no, they're in their ivory towers. They've got everything all set up for themselves so they don't have to worry about any problems while the rest of us suffer. And that's not okay. And that's not even what God wanted for kings back in that day. They weren't supposed to get, they, you know, they weren't supposed to get overly wealthy. And this, this would be a great study for another time, just what God actually wanted from a king. And just understand, having a king wasn't necessarily a bad thing, but it was to be a king like God prescribed instead of a king like the other nations had. 
And that was their pro- Israel's problem. When they're thinking of king, they weren't thinking of the same thing that God was thinking of. They were thinking, let's be like the other nations. But God wanted them to have a different kind of king because God didn't want them being like the other nations. God wanted them different. So when Israel was entering into the promised land last week, we saw how God wanted them to utterly destroy the inhabitants of the land. And the reason God kept saying he wanted them to do this was because he did not want Israel becoming like them. And so last week we focused on why these things happened. You know, when we see the people that they left behind, what happened later. But this week I want to take a closer look at what it looked like, you know, when Israel faced the results of disobeying God. And basically what ended up happening, they conformed to the people around them. And one of the things that's always going to be a danger for our church is conformity to the world. We are naturally, because of this flesh, are going to be drawn to the same things that our world is drawn to. There is a reason that the world does the things that they do. You know what it is? It's this stuff right here called flesh. That's why they do the things that they do. They're just following the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. And what does that look like? You know what it looks like? What we see out there today. And it, that, what it looks like changes throughout time. You know, in the 70s and 60s, you, know, you look like a hippie. You know, now you look like a hipster, as we call them today. You know, we, you know it, it, it varies throughout time. But one thing that does not change is God does not want us just being conformed to the world. God wants us being different. God expects different. God expects better from us. We saw last week, we went in Nehemiah chapter 13, how angry God was when... Uh, or how angry Nehemiah was when he saw that the Jews had married the wives of Ashdod and of Moab. And it says in uh, uh, Nehemiah 13.24, And their children spake half in the speech of Ashdod and could not speak in the Jews' language, but according to the language of each people. This was not a good thing. It says, And I contended with them and cursed them and smote certain of them and plucked off their hair, and made them swear by God, saying, You shall not give your daughters unto their sons, nor take their daughters unto your sons for yourselves. This was unacceptable what was going on. God wanted them to be a pure race of people, and to have a pure language in that old covenant. We see in Zechariah 3.9, it says, For then will I turn to the people a pure language, that they may call upon the name of the Lord to serve Him with one consent. God wanted Israel, as a people physically during that time, to be a very special, unique people. He said in Deuteronomy 7, 6, For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. And, and uh, then in Deuteronomy 7, verse 25, it says, The graven images of their gods shall ye burn with fire. Thou shalt not desire the silver or gold that is on them, nor take it unto thee, lest thou be snared therein, for it is an abomination of the Lord thy God. Neither shalt thou bring an abomination into thine house, lest thou be a cursed thing like it. But thou shalt utterly detest it, and thou shalt utterly abhor it, for it is a cursed thing. God did not want them liking the things. If, if they saw an idol from that land, even though it had gold and silver, God said, I don't want you to take that gold and silver for yourself. I want you to hate it. I want you to despise it. I want you to burn it and destroy it. And if you take it, and if you keep it, just like that thing is cursed, you will be a cursed thing just like it. And remember Achan, when he Achan took it, the accursed thing? We all know that story uh, from the book of Joshua. 
And then, you know, this is another reason too why in the Old Testament we see the strict dietary laws and even the laws about clothing. Okay, because God wanted them to be a special people. One of the most common uh, things that we think of when we think of different ethnicities isn't it often their food? Isn't that one of the first things that we that we think of? That's one of the things that helps us, you know, if, if we're going to do something cultural, you know, to honor an ethnicity, one of the things we're going to do is we're going to eat a certain type of food. And you know what else we're going to do? We're going to probably wear a certain kind of clothes. And you know what else we're going to do? We're going to have a certain type of music. All of these are things that identify a culture. But isn't it interesting how, you know, in... With Christianity, it's like we don't have anything specific. You know, and if we say that something is of the world, you know, and then they say we're legalistic for thinking that, well, then aren't you a legalist if you call something Mexican food? You know, I'm sorry, there's a certain type of food that's identified with the Mexican culture or Italian food or whatever. You know, oh, that, that's, that's legalism. Now, how dare you get specific like that? I'm sorry, but you know, you just don't see too many, uh, I don't know, you don't see too many Germans out wearing a sombrero, do you? This is is not real common. Oh, you know, I'm sure there are some out there that do. I'll bet there aren't. I'll bet if you went to Germany, you wouldn't see that. It's it's probably not going to happen. There are some things that do, they identify with things, but it's like nothing is allowed to identify us with Christianity today. Isn't that interesting? Nothing is allowed to identify us. Nothing is allowed to separate us when it comes to, when it comes to Christianity today. I just, I just find that very interesting how they are. And these, and these people that all preach like that, that all, all music is amoral, that there isn't a Christian music and a worldly music, they would agree that there's Mexican music, that there's, you know, German music, there's all these different types of ethnic music. We all recognize that. But yet when it comes to Christianity, they act like there's nothing, but interestingly enough, their churches, the music sounds just like what we would hear in the bars out there today. Their clothing, the lighting, the decorations, it looks just like what's in the bars. Now, what do we think is motivating everything associated with the nightclub today? Do, you th- do we think there's anything of the Spirit? Do we think when these people are designing these places, when they're putting their programs together, when they're bringing in their entertainment, they're thinking, how can we spiritually minister to these people today? No. You know what they're thinking? How can we get their money? And you know how you can get people's money? Give their flesh what it wants. That's why they, that's why they do these things the way they do. And you want to know why Pastor Trendy in his skinny jeans is doing all the weird stuff that he's doing that does not appeal to the Spirit? Because they want your money, people. They're out there to get your money. And if they give your flesh what it wants, they'll get your money. That's why they do the type of thing that they do. And don't let them pretend that there is, you know, these things are all moral. Nothing is identified with anything. You're legalistic if you think that way. That is an absolute joke. That's an absolute joke. You know, every year when they have their St. Patrick's Day parade in Dixon, there's a specific type of music that you hear. You know, and it's usually, most of it's Scottish, actually. Actually, these people can't get it all figured out. They always have the guys coming with the kilts and the bagpipes. Is that an Irish thing, too? I thought that was just Scotland. I don't know. Maybe I don't know my uh, cultural stuff very well. Everybody's wearing green, and everybody's drinking beer. You know, that's that's one of the bad things uh, about that culture. But they are. They're doing very specific things that identify with the culture. 
Yet for some reason, when it comes to Christianity today, we're not allowed to have anything that identifies us. In fact, churches celebrate the fact that they're doing everything just like out in the world. They'll brag about just how diverse they are and how what they do appeals to all ethnicities. We've got a problem if that's the case. Because, you know, I, you know, even in the American culture, all right, even in your just apple pie eating American flag waving culture, do we really think that those things are meant to minister to the spirit? The red, white, and blue, the grilling hamburgers and hot dogs and shooting off fireworks and all that. I mean, is that meant to minister to the spirit? No, those things are, they're about, they're, they're about the flesh. You know, not everything about the flesh is bad. It's okay to have some fun and eat hamburgers and apple pie and to shoot off fireworks and blow things up. You know, they, that, that's, that's fine. But, you know, we're not going to do that in a church service. Okay? You know, we're not, now, let me just say this. In case any trendies hear this, they're going to think we're a hypocrite because fundamental Baptists, they love doing the stars and stripes, you know, flag waving, you know, patriotic. I mean, they, they, everything short of shooting off fireworks in their church services, especially around Fourth of July more. Now we don't do that here, okay? We don't do that in church. We might do some of it at a picnic at our house, but not not in church. We we you know we don't do that type of thing here. But you know the things that we are seeing as a church today, they are they're very earthly, okay? And as a church, we should be about things that are spiritual. And so one challenge we have even in the promised land which I believe the promised land too. I believe crossing Jordan. A lot of people, in a lot of songs, you know, they, when they talk about crossing Jordan, you know, it's referring to dying and going to heaven. But I think a better picture of crossing Jordan, because when you cross Jordan, there's still problems there, isn't there? I think it's more though a picture of the victorious Christian life, not heaven. And we've got, and so, you know, God has given us victory, but we've always got to remember we have a dual nature and we have a dual citizenship. Okay? All right. No matter how hardcore I want to look, no matter how spiritual I want to look, there's no getting around the fact I'm an American. Okay? There's no, I, there's, people are going to figure it out. People can figure out where I'm from, part, what part of the country I'm from, by the way I talk. No matter how hard I try to fool people when I go down south and try to fit in, you know, people can tell. You know, there, there's things about us that we can spot, the, you know, that we have, and, you know, not all of it is necessarily a bad thing. But one thing is a fact that we all still have our sin nature. And if we're not careful, we're going to get pulled right into the same thing the rest of our culture is involved in. It is inevitable that some of our American culture, it's going to come out in our worship, in our terminology. In our, you, know, you go to a southern church and they, they sing different than we do. And I think it's still spiritual. I think it's still spiritual. I, I think these people still love the Lord. But what, what are we seeing there? We're seeing some of their culture come out, but at the same time too, there is a spiritual element to it. There's no doubt about that. And it's like that too, if you go into other countries where you can see some of that culture coming out in the music, there is that spiritual element to it at the same time. We all know that. And a lot of these things are hard to define. It's hard to, you know, get specific on, you know, what is okay. But at the end of the day, I do think we all know. And the Bible does say in Romans chapter 12, Verse 1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. God didn't get rid of holiness in the New Testament. 
God still wants us to be a holy people. And then after he talks about presenting our bodies a living sacrifice, uh, when he talks about us being holy, he specifically says, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So we have a clear command not to be conformed to this world. We are supposed to prove what's good and acceptable, meaning there's some things that aren't good and they're not acceptable. And because we all have uh, flesh and a sin nature, it is always going to be a battle. There is always going to be churches where that world is coming into it and things are crossing lines and getting out of hand. And when that type of thing happens, if that type of thing starts to creep into our church, you know what we got to do? We got to fix it. We got to change it. We got to have some reformation if we find out that, you know, we've gotten a little too much of our world into our church. Sometimes we do. We need to have a little bit of awakening and say, you know what, we're taking some of this American stuff just a little too far. I think with all this going on in our country, with all the things that are being promoted, we might be sending a mixed message if we go a little too crazy with the flag waving and all that kind of stuff and, you know, singing, I'm proud to be American. We did that. used to do that stuff in our church. Our very first service we ever had at Liberty Baptist Church. They sang, I'm proud to be an American. <laughs> and I'm embarrassed by that. But, but in my defense... It was the 10th anniversary of 9-11 when our nation was attacked by them dirty Muslims. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, you know. Hey, God didn't call the perfect. <laughs> but let me tell you something. But, you know, I learned. And it's like, yeah, I think we took a little too far. I think we took a little too far. We're not going to do that again. All right? We're not going to do it again. But, you know, at least I'm not like some of these IFB and I just find a way to make it right. That was justified. That was all okay. <laughs> yeah. No, no, we probably shouldn't have done that. And and that that's a conformity. And we got to fix those things. And it, it's going to happen again. It's always going to be a challenge. It's always something we got to stay on top of. And if we ever get to a point where, like, you know what? I I, I think we're pushing it a little too far on some of this stuff. We might have to. I might have to step up and say, all right, you know, t- church, it's time for us to fix some things that we messed up a little bit. And you know what? Y'all need to get on board with it and just get over it. Ah, you know, I like the dancing that we had going on in the church. You know, I just learned some new dance moves I was planning on trying out next week. And then now you cancel dancing in the church. I'm sorry, but you know, the dancing was just reminding me of, you know, and we haven't been doing any dancing in the church, but you know, if you're new here, but I'm saying if we got to that point, your dance moves, were looking a little too much like what I'm seeing on MTV or something like that. I think we, I think we've taken it too far. And we got to fix these things. This is always going to be a challenge. And we need to be ready to prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And we've got to be able to admit it when we messed up, when we crossed the line, and we got to get it right. we got to fix it. we got to confess it. And so we need to rem- turn over to Deuteronomy 17 and verse 16. So we need to re- always remember that because we have a sinful flesh, we will always be tempted, figuratively speaking, to go back to Egypt. We see that uh, God said about that king, it said, uh, he, um, he, but he shall not multiply horses to himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt. That was a specific command. This was something they were, the king was not allowed to change on. They were not allowed to go back to Egypt. God did not want his people going back to that land. And we need to understand our flesh is always going to want to go back to Egypt, figuratively speaking. Egypt is a picture of the world. 
It is a picture of that sinful life, that sinful bondage. And your flesh is always going to want to go back to that. Your flesh is always going to desire the same thing that the world desires. These things, there's a reason these things are tempting and appealing. There's, There's a reason, even though you're saved, you still desire it. Even if you're saved, you're still made out of the same flesh that the world's made out of. And there's always going to be that temptations there. We see in Romans 7, 14, Paul said, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. But if I then, if then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that is good. Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing, for the will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. We, the, even the Apostle Paul realized that he was a wretch, physically speaking. That he was a sinner, and to figure out how to do good, he couldn't figure it out. You know why? Because he is carnal, he said. I am carnal, sold under sin, and thankfully, we do have that spiritual nature that can help us to overcome those things of the flesh and we can actually be victorious. Lost people do not have that. So lost people are going to do exactly what your flesh wants to do. The exact same thing that your flesh wants to do. And they're going to do it without the Spirit restraining it. And so when we have churches today that are literally with no restraints doing the exact same thing that the world is doing, We've got a big problem there. We've got a big problem. There's nothing spiritual about it. There's nothing spiritual about what our, what our world does. And so, you know, we need to ask, you know, do we really believe that the music of our culture today is meant to please God and that it's of the Holy Ghost? You know, I don't think it is. When I look at the lives of most of these artists that are out there today putting this music out there, I don't think these people are surrendered to the will of God. I just, I, I don't know, maybe it's just the constant you know, fornication. Maybe it's the endless profanity. Maybe it's all just the junk that they're trying to promote and just wickedness. I don't think it's about that. And when I see how rich these people are too, something tells me it's about the money. That's what, that's what something tells me. And yet we're going to have that same kind of thing in our church and, and then act like it's of the Holy Spirit? I don't think so. You know, Do we really believe that the modern clothing styles are meant to reflect the inner man that is spiritual or is it about the flesh? Especially when you consider how much flesh is being shown today by a lot of the clothing. You know, the Bible says in 1 Peter 3, 3, who's adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of plating of hair, the wearing of gold or putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God, of great price. And so notice what is on the inside is should show on the outside. Okay? That's that and so well what does that look like? Well I like what it says in first Timothy two nine where it says in like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. If a person is professing to be godly, then their clothing ought to represent that. You know, it, it ought to be modest, is what it says. 
And so if we are claiming to be saved, if we are claiming to be clean on the inside, shouldn't we try to show that with how we are and how we dress on the outside? It's like the illustration Brother Austin used this morning with the cup. You know, when you have the clean water inside, thank God we've got that spirit inside us that's clean, that's good. But that's not an excuse to have a dirty cup. We ought to want to clean that too. Otherwise, nobody's going to want to have anything to do with what's inside that cup. And unfortunately today, we've got a lot of people out there who are claiming to have the right thing on the inside, but yet their outside is telling us a completely different story. And you know, you can tell me all you want, ladies, that you're modest and you have a meek and quiet, or, uh, that you're godly and you have a meek and quiet spirit, but if you're not dressing like it, you're not going to think it. Because what, how you dress says something about yourself. And again, the trendies will throw a fit when they hear that kind of thing, yet everybody wants to seem to dress a certain way when promoting some kind of ethnicity or even some kind of time era, but yet they act like they act like all clothing is just completely neutral. Okay? Liberal Christians are the only people in the world that think that. I mean, the world, they constantly say, you know, they're always telling you, express yourself when talking about clothing. They're the ones that's always telling you, you know, your, you know their clothing is how they express themselves and who they are. But liberal Christians, no, it means nothing. The only thing that matters is on the inside. Well, you're the only people on the planet that think that way. The queers who design the clothing that you're wearing don't think that way. The, you know, the people who started these fads don't, don't think that way. God's people don't think that way. But you know who does think that way, that none of that matters? People claiming to be God's people who are in love with this world. They're the ones that act that way. And you know, I'm not falling for it. I'm not going to pretend that, that there's any reality to what you're talking about there. It does, your clothing should represent what you are professing. And I think that, uh, you know, if you're pretending to be, if you claim to be a Cubs fan, don't wear a Cardinals jersey. I think that makes sense. You know, and everybody understands that when it comes to Christianity, nope, doesn't exist. I'm not falling for that. So we need to regularly make sure we regularly have a renewing of our mind. On these things in Romans 2 2 that we looked at talks about be transformed by the renewing of your mind we've got to understand our world's going to keep changing when it comes to a lot of these things and we are going to have a natural tendency to kind of change with it if we're not careful so one thing that we need to always do as a Christian is renew our mind on these things we regularly need to check up on ourselves. We regularly need to check up on ourselves as a church and ask ourselves, what direction are we going? Are we becoming more about the things of the flesh? Hey, our church is growing, but why is our church growing? Is it growing because of spiritual things or because growing because of godly things? Are we growing because we just have the best coffee in town? Or are we just growing because we, you know, have the best food at fellowships? Or, uh, we, you know, everybody just likes the gossip around here. This is how you get in the know of what's going on and whatever, you know. I mean, is there anything spiritual motivating people? You know, do we have the most entertaining service? Is it, is it because of that? Or is it because we're being ministered to spiritually? And, you know, we'll be able to figure out, you know, we'll, we'll know what we're promoting by who responds to our advertising, you could say. And so if I'm up here as a preacher being carnal, and I'm just tickling everybody's ears and telling people what they want to hear, we're going to attract a group of people 
that are pretty carnal and that don't really have any desire to live godly. That's what we're going to attract. If our music here is the kind that you know, appeals to the sinful flesh, we're going to have people that are coming here that have a lot of you know, moral problems and things like that that aren't going to get fixed. But you know, if we're doing things in a godly way, we're going to attract people that are godly. That's, you know, we're going to get, you know, you know, who we have. It's obvious when you watch commercials today, who their the commercials are geared towards. Isn't it? You can tell when that's being geared towards the elderly people. You know, they'll have, they always use actors on there from like their era. Like uh, there's these one commercials I've seen uh, when I'm working out with Magnum PI on it. Um, I forgot what he advertises, but it's something that's for, I'm not interested in yet because I'm not that old yet. But it's like, you know, who are they trying to, who, you know, who are they trying to reach? Well, the generation that grew up watching Tom Selleck stuff, you know, and, and you'll see that kind of thing. If they're, if they're not going to use Tom Selleck to sell kids toys or to sell things to teenagers and things like that, they're going to use whoever the latest, you know, up and comer is, you know, that it's obvious who they're appealing to. And you know what? We can all figure that out when it comes to corporations and how they advertise. And you know what? We can figure it out when it comes to churches too. It's obvious who they're trying to reach out to. It's obvious who they're trying to bring in. And you know, and I'm all for trying to reach out to different groups to try to get them saved. But here's the problem. They're reaching out to the millennial types. But the problem is they don't preach any repentance to these people. They don't ever try to change any of their problems. They don't try to do any, they don't try to do any of that. And then what's the point of them going to your church? If you're not going to change, if they're not going to change anything, I mean, really, what's the point? Oh, that's right. Let's still get their money. We can still get their money if we do that. And, but you know, that's not what we should be about. And so we've got to keep preaching these things. So we will just never forget. That's why we need the constant preaching. We need to preach against sin. If it's in God's Word, it's a big deal. The Bible says in Matthew 5.19, Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. We need to make a big deal about all of God's commands, about all of God's laws. We don't need to throw these things out and only concentrate on the big ten. We need to make a big deal about all these things. We need to fight back against liberalism and prove God's perfect will in these things. Because the liberals, you know, they're going to tell us not to fight these battles, but you know what? We've got to. We've got to fight these things. And with the exceptions of battles that God has told us not to fight, like for example, when it comes to vengeance, okay? We're not supposed to fight that battle. When somebody does you wrong, okay, vengeance belongs to God. And I don't like that law. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't like, I, I think the Bible should have had a good battle plan in there for how we take care of business. And well, you say, well, it is in there. You let God do it. Yeah, but I want to take care of business. <laughs> in my time. But with the exception of those that God told us, no, you let me fight those battles. When it comes to the battle for your salvation, Jesus already fought that for you. You don't fight for that. You don't work for that. No, don't fight, don't fight that battle. Jesus already fought it. But with the exception of those battles like that, we need to understand we will lose every battle where we don't fight back. And the trendies aren't going to stop pushing their liberalism. They're not going to stop pushing conformity to the world. They're not going to quit trying, trying to bring these things in. We've got to fight back. So, you know, don't get mad 
when I have to preach on hard subjects that I've already covered, because sometimes we forget. Hebrews 2.1, Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we let them slip. There's some things we need reminded of. If we don't get reminded of it, we're going to forget about it. We're going to start to think it's just not that big of a deal. And that's what happens. You know, sometimes preachers, you know, and we just can naturally do this. Just you kind of forget about subjects that are important because maybe we're not having any problems in that area. And then the next thing you know, our church is full of it. And it's like, what, what happened? Well, we weren't, hadn't been talking about these things. We hadn't been renewing our mind in these areas. And now we've got a mess on our hands. So we need to regularly do these kind of, you know, maintenance things and sometimes preventative maintenance. So there's been times before I've got up and I've ripped face on gossip, even though I didn't know about any gossip going on in the church. You know why? Because that's something you regularly need to do to make sure that it doesn't start happening. And that's, that's an important thing. So we've got to learn to identify the side effects of conformity to the world and understand where these things lead. Now, turn over to Ezekiel 16. I'll go through this real quick. Preach a whole message just on this. And I, I have before. But in Ezekiel 16, verse 49, it says, Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. And God's talking to Israel here, and he's calling Sodom your sister. That's not a compliment right there. You know what he's saying? Because you're, you're like them. That's why he's saying that. And he said, Pride, fullness of bread, abundance of idleness was in her and her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hands of the poor and needy, and they were haughty and committed abominations before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw good. Now, the trendies like to use this to prove that God didn't destroy Sodom because of the homos. You know, it was because of their pride. Well, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, but, you know, that's not exactly how that works. Because here's the thing. Nobody just turns into a sodomite overnight. Just like nobody's born a sodomite. That's just a, a false teaching that people have accepted out there, which causes them to, to use all kinds of straw men against the reprobate doctrine. When I listen to people's responses, it's like, you know, and I don't have time to go into all that, but it's always clear these people believe the propaganda that people are born that way. That is not the case. No, nobody's born that way. Sodom did not one day just become proud and haughty and all these things because of the fact that they were queers. Okay, that's something that American culture taught, you know, because we're always trying to lift up the scum of the earth by just telling them they're great. Okay, that, I think that's kind of an American thing. No. It starts out with pride. It starts out with pride. We see it after Romans 12, 2 and Romans 12, 3. It says, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. And the context here is thinking highly of yourself because of your gifts that you have. But often, those who are the separated ones who are not conformed to the world, you know what often happens to those people? They get lifted up with pride in their attitude. You know, and as a separated church that preaches on standards, we can get a proud attitude where we think we're better than everybody else as a result of it. But you know, let me tell you what happened with Sodom. It started with pride. It started with pride because, you know, they had some things going for them. They were a prosperous city. It was a, it was, you know, probably had a lot of good things going for it. They got lifted up with pride. And one of the things that probably made them proud is that they were prosperous and they had fullness of bread is the second thing it shows us there. Fullness of bread. You know, we often lose our desire and our hunger for the things of God, don't we? Especially when we start thinking, hey, I've achieved it. I'm spiritual. 
I look like a Christian. I got a haircut. I'm wearing a suit and a tie. I'm going to church. I'm doing all these things. I did it. Look at those people out there that haven't done it. And then all of a sudden, we lost that hunger for God that we had when we got saved where we just wanted Him to save us. Where we were just, we didn't want to go to hell. We realized we deserved to go to hell and that Jesus was our only hope and we just wanted Him to save us and then He saves us. But then, over time, we could forget that we were purged from our old sins and we start thinking, look at me now. I got here, you know, because I repented of all my sins. You know, and no, you didn't. You know what happens? You lose your desire and your hunger for things of God because you feel full in your own, in your own heart. And because of this, too, we see after that, it says idleness. You know, we get lazy when we sit in the easy chair again. Remember that we talked about the easy chair a few years ago? Or a few weeks ago? When we get, everything's going good, we just kind of sit back and enjoy it. Everything's going good in Sodom. Let's just enjoy it. Let's sit around and do nothing. But then, you know, it said also, they, uh, they didn't strengthen the hands of the poor and needy. They, didn't, they weren't helping each other. They quit thinking about other people. They got haughty. And haughty is a lot like pride, but being haughty means proud and disdainful. So having a high opinion of yourself while having contempt for other people at the same time. You know, pride alone is bad, but when you're haughty too, that's even worse. And those things always do kind of go uh, hand in hand. And that's how they were. They're in Sodom. They're, they're proud, and yet they just have a disdain for other people that aren't like them. And then, you know where that kind of attitude is going to lead? To committing abominations. That's the last thing it mentions because that's where that type of thinking leads and where it ends up. And you know what? God didn't destroy Sodom and Gomorrah when they got proud. God, committed, uh, God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah when He's hearing the cries of the people, you know, these young children who are being tormented by all these freaks there, when they were trying to bust down the house of Lot to get at those angels to commit their abominations, that's when God rained the fire and brimstone down. That's when it happened. So don't let these people fool you on Ezekiel chapter 16. But we've got to understand when it comes to that conformity of the world, it's always a gradual progression to get you there. And you don't, people don't just become Sodom overnight. You don't become a Sodomite overnight. And so, you know, how can a church of God commit abominations. Well, I believe, figuratively speaking, where it would end for us is by us going apostate and preaching a false gospel. And I believe if we do, and that's what happens too, if we start getting proud and haughty and having all these problems, it's not going to be long. In fact, it's going to happen very fast. Our doctrine is going to start going south. And before you know it, we're preaching the false gospel. Before you know it, people are coming to church, you know, Supposed to hear the gospel, and yet they're hearing something that's leading them from the gospel. You know, I don't think I can't think of anything more of an abomination than a church preaching a false gospel while standing up and saying this is God's word. That's a pretty that's a pretty horrible thing right there. And we've got to understand conformity to the world has consequences. It takes us from the things of God, and God doesn't want us to be different just to be different. He wants us to stay away from these things for our own good. These things will destroy us. These things will not make us happier. Yes, sin is deceptive. Sin is, it's tricky. But, you know, it, it does bring pleasure, 
for a season, but at the end of the day, it's going to bring regret. It's going to bring sorrow and heartache. And God, because He loves us, He's warned us from these things. And we've got to never forget about the fact that until we get rid of this flesh, until Christ who is our life shall appear and we appear with Him in glory, we are going to battle in these areas. This battle is not going away, folks. We can fight it today. We can have a renewing of our mind today. We can have some reformation today and get ourselves right where we need to be. But we need to understand that enemy is still going to be there and they're still going to be trying to get at us. We're never going to stop fighting these enemies until we get rid of this flesh. And so we've got to maintain this, this attitude. We've got to stay focused and we've always got to be opposed to this world and the things of this world. And I believe if we do, God will bless us. And we won't have to become a cursed thing like we're seeing out in the world today. And so with that, let's pray. Dear God, we thank You for these warnings that You've given us. And Lord, even though they're difficult for us to understand sometimes uh, because our, our flesh is so deceptive, I pray that You'll help each one in here to just have the faith to just trust Your Word and what it says. And You'll help us to be victorious in these areas. And we pray You'll help us to be uh, good representatives of you in this earth. And Lord, when we get victory, I pray that it won't cause us to be proud and haughty towards others. I pray we'll maintain a humble attitude, understanding that it's you that did this for us. And uh, we could be right back to where these people in the world are tomorrow if we uh, got away from you. And so help us to just uh, be a good example and uh, maintain our humility. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.